Welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here after Kansas fell on the road to Oklahoma 81-68. And thus the streak ends. Kansas's 14-year streak of conference dominance of winning the Big 12 came to an end tonight. What's the saying? All good things have to come to an end. It's not been good for... The other teams in the Big 12, but this has been a great run for Kansas. In my own estimation, I don't believe that this is something that could be done in the Power 5 again just because of the way that the talent gap has been shrunk and the way that the transfer rules work now. It would just be so hard for another team to replicate what Kansas has been able to do for the past 14 years. And just in general, when you look at this season and this team and everything that has happened, it makes sense that this was the way it would go out. It would be a season where you lose basically your focal point on offense. He only plays, I believe, nine games this season in Udoka Azubuke. You know, he missed time early on in the season with that sprained ankle. You think, okay, you'll get him back for Big 12 play when it really matters. He'll be able to give you the easy buckets that he was just so just reliable for every game. So you lose him. You lose Silvio de Sosa to the NCAA's ruling. He's a guy that took over in the Elite Eight against Duke last year and had shown real signs of progress, real exponential growth, if you will throughout the Big 12 tournament and into the NCAA tournament last year. So you lose him. Then you lose one of your best three-point shooters in LeGerald Vick to a leave of absence. So right there, you're already down three starters. And then from there, you just look at the way that some of the other pieces on the team didn't perform up to what you would expect in the preseason. Now, can we as media members as people that watch basketball and even as fans to some degree can you talk guys up and focus on what they can do instead of what they can't do in the offseason sure but I think there's no hiding it that guys like Charlie Moore for example have underperformed I mean Charlie Moore's not even shooting 30% from three on the season and that was supposed to be kind of his calling card as a off the bench spark plug type of scorer and that's what Bill Self has said that he wanted from Charlie Moore but that didn't come out to be. Then you have to burn the red shirt of Ochai Abaji. You know, he's a guy that really came out firing when he that red shirt was pulled. His role grew exponentially as we saw him just how valuable he could be with his athleticism, with his ability to switch and the ability to guard multiple positions, and then also what he brought for you on the offensive end when it came to shooting the ball. Because that is something that KU struggled with when LaGerald Vick wasn't making threes. It really felt like nobody else was able to make threes. Now, Diedrich Lawson and Devon Dotson and Quentin Grimes to some degree came on late in the season, but Ochai early on in conference play offered that for KU. But then if you look at Ochai's performances over the past week, he's kind of struggled. He has not shot the ball as well as he had in the past. He has been not as much of a presence on the defensive glass. I think just in general, 
there's so many things that went wrong for Kansas this season that you can't be necessarily surprised that this is the way it goes out. But so looking at the game as a whole, you know, Kansas really struggled in the first half defending. Um, Bill Self used three of his timeouts in the first half. I would love to go back and see when was the last time Bill Self used three timeouts in the first half. I wonder if he's even done that in his time at Kansas because that is so important. Those timeouts, you look at guys in the second half, it feels like to me that Bill Self usually starts off the second half with three timeouts. And you want to have those timeouts down the stretch so you can call set plays, get guys calmed down. As, you know, if games are close, you need those timeouts. Those are valuable. And for Bill Self to use those three in the first 20 minutes, I think spoke to how KU was playing. On the defensive end, there were a lot of mishaps. Uh, I specifically remember Brady Manick coming into the lane on a transition opportunity it was even like a secondary action off of transition it wasn't like a a three on two or a four on four on three or something like that it was a secondary where it's five on five on four and manic just wasn't marked and basically strode right down the lane and was able to throw down a dunk and bill self called his second timeout right after that um there was another time where manic straight up just wasn't guarded um i'd have to go back and look at kind of who that would be on but Manic was wide open and got a clean look just in general KU was all over the place defensively in the first half it was not pretty I think that something that I also would like to look at is how often teams shoot above their percentage against KU from three because Oklahoma Oklahoma came into the game shooting 32.5 percent from three in conference play and they shot 39 percent that is 9 of 23 from 3. And uh, I would just like to see how often teams come in and shoot above their percentage against KU from the three-point line because I think that KU's three-point defense has been a real issue for them all season. I've written about it. I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. That has been their Achilles heel all season. And I guess it's it's sort of fitting that they kind of died by the three early on in the game. Um, there was a point where Brady Manick had almost as many points as Kansas. I don't remember the specifics. I believe it would have been when Manick had 15 points and Kansas had 18 points. But in general, that first half was ugly for Kansas on the defensive end. On the offensive end, Kansas was able to get some good looks through David McCormick posting up Brady Manick. Uh, McCormick's at 6'10". Manick is a lot smaller than him, a lot thinner frame. And McCormick was able to get in the lane, and I was really impressed with the way that McCormick handled himself when he got into solid positions in the lane. I think you've seen this season times where McCormick will really get good starting position just because of his size and the way that he's able to use his body and just how strong he is. But I really felt like he did a good job tonight of not panicking when he got into those really good positions down low. For me, McCormick was my player of the game. If you want to give a player of the game for Kansas, I thought that Diedrich Lawson was good. But as always, in these road games, I'm always just left wanting more from Diedrich. He really did shoot the ball well. I'll get to him more in a second. But to go back to McCormick, 18 points, a career high on 8 of 11 shooting, 2 of 3 shooting from the free throw line, 5 rebounds, 1 assist. 
The one black mark on this performance would be his fouls. He went into halftime with one fouls and got two really quick in the second half, had to miss some time. He finished with four. But again, I think that McCormick really showed some strides in a road environment to play the way that he did. I mean, even in the second half, he made a little pull-up jumper from what would have been 15 feet just right past the free throw line that's he shot that same exact shot against Kentucky and it was a brick it was a pure jumper this time and I think that going forward now maybe you've seen something from McCormick that will continue you know he only played 21 minutes but was able to get those 18 points in 21 minutes you know I'm not one that's saying that now, oh, David McCormick's going to be the guy that comes out and is, you can get 15 points from on a night. No, but maybe from him starting at center, now maybe you can start to expect maybe a five or six point per game from David McCormick in the Big 12 tournament and into March. I was just, again, just real impressed with the poise that he showed when he got into really good positions. So moving on, I thought Diedrich Lawson, again, was a really close second to McCormick, but I'm always just left wanting more from Diedrich, as I said. You know, he did shoot the three ball pretty well, three of seven from three, six of 11 from the field, you know, really solid performance, only one turnover. I was actually surprised by that number. Just by watching the game live, it felt like he had, I'd say, probably three, maybe four turnovers. Um, balls that just would kind of get away or would bounce and get picked up by Oklahoma. But I've been kind of also surprised by the way that now Lawson has began to rebound the ball again. Because Lawson, if you remember, when KU started going to this too big look, his rebounds went down a lot. I need to go back and look at the specifics of the numbers, but he had been getting, as he did tonight, he got 11 rebounds tonight. It felt like he was getting just double-double after double-double, but once they switched to that too-big look, the rebounds went down, but then up, you know, he's been on an uptick rebounding the ball as of late, and I think that's really important for KU going forward. I mean, they out-rebounded Oklahoma 41-31, to so KU has really covered up that weakness of rebounding and I think that going forward, that is important. But for Lawson, I think a really good performance. But again, I'm just left wanting more. As for some guys that I thought were not so good, um, Ochai I've already talked about a little bit, but I think that you know he went one of seven from three. I really am starting to believe now that I think he has started to hit. Not a wall, but has started to definitely hit some fatigue. I think that is really a reflection of his three-point numbers because three-point shooting is about your legs. I've talked about in the past about with Quentin Grimes, how you can kind of tell if a shot has a good chance of going in or not just by the way that he gets lift on his shot. Ochai Abaji, I, don't, I can't tell yet if he has any of those kind of tells where if he's not getting lift, those shots don't go in. But I think that those legs may not be there as they were early on in the season. And he's also just coming down to earth. I mean, he's not a 40-plus, 45% three-point shooter as he was to start off Big 12 play. I think you probably see him settle around maybe the, the 38 to 40 mark, not the 42 to 45% mark that he was shooting at earlier this season. As for Devon Dotson, I thought that he really uh, was just poor on the road again. He really needs to work on entry passes into the post. I specifically remember one time in the second half where... 
basically he was on the left wing and he was just a little more towards the corner and there was a guy in the corner uh, I believe it would have been a Marcus Garrett I could be wrong but there was a guy in the corner and he was being defended and then there was Lawson in the low post he was being defended and then there was Dotson who was being defended those are three guys in a real small space and Dotson still tried to force in a post entry to Diedrich and that got picked off and turned into a transition opportunity I think things like that are areas of Devon Dotson's game that he can improve upon is that little decision making when do throw in an entry pass and just in general getting better at throwing in those entry passes Dotson had a team high three turnovers he did have four assists three rebounds but didn't score the ball efficiently two of seven shooting overall i've been ever since that tcu game on the road for dotson he has not been as good on the road i mean against oklahoma state he was a really big meh and then again tonight another big meh then quentin grimes just did not build off of that oklahoma state performance his one made shot from the field was a banked-in three. He only recorded one other stat outside of that in the positive area. He only got the one rebound. Outside of that, three turnovers. He had one play where he was handling the ball and tried to force a pass. It was in transition, and he was being guarded, and the guy that he was trying to force the ball into was being guarded, and he still tried to force in a pass, and... I was just, I felt like that he was maybe trying to make things happen once Kansas got down and was maybe trying to force plays that weren't there. That's kind of the biggest thing that I took away was it felt like Kansas in general, once they got down, was really struggling to find an identity and something to go off of. The three-point shooting wasn't there. They went 7 of 31 from 3. I think that's a byproduct of you getting down big early and then trying to shoot your way back into the game. And for a team that does not have an overwhelming amount of elite outside shooters, that's not something that you can expect to do. For Kansas to get back into a game like this, the way that you know you would expect is for to feed the post and play good defense. Keep the other team from scoring not try and match the other team's scoring because KU just is not going to be able to shoot a high volume of threes and make a high clip while shooting a high volume. But overall, thankfully for KU, the road games are over now. You get to go home, play Baylor on Saturday. You get a couple days off, and then you'll play in the Big 12 tournament starting Thursday. The seeding of that will still be determined based on how the results go on Saturday. But in the short term, I am personally very interested to see how Kansas bounces back against Baylor. Because now the Big 12 is out of the picture, there is not much to play for Saturday outside of your own seeding. I saw that there was a bracket release today that was a just kind of a mock bracket that had KU as a three seed in the Midwest. You're going to have to continue to win games to try and get that seed in the Midwest because the regional is in Kansas City, and that would be a huge bonus for Kansas to get to play in the Sprint Center, especially because Kansas has shown this season that they can win games on a neutral floor, and it only helps to have that Kansas City crowd for this team especially, just because going into another hostile, not even hostile environment, but just an unfamiliar 
environment, I think, could throw some things off for Kansas just because, and I'm basing this purely off of how Kansas has played on the road this season in one-off games where you're only playing in an arena once. I'm still optimistic for the ceiling of this Kansas team. I think there's a world in which they come out and can win the Big 12 tournament because it is on a neutral floor and because Kansas has shown that they can beat every team. They haven't proven it against Baylor yet, but that they can beat every team at home. And I think that playing on a neutral floor, I think that Kansas still has a really good shot of winning the Big 12 tournament, which would only help their seeding for the NCAA tournament. So that's going to do it for us here today on the Fog.net podcast. As always, stay tuned to Fog.net for all sorts of KU basketball coverage. We'll have some really good stories coming from tonight's game against Oklahoma. And then tomorrow, Wednesday, is the first football spring practice. I will be at it to get a glimpse of the new era of Kansas football, and we'll have some really good content coming from KU football if you're looking to kind of get away from basketball for a couple of days before KU plays Baylor. As always, you can follow myself on Twitter at mswain97, and you can follow Scott Chasen on Twitter at Scott. And with that said, we'll talk to you Saturday after the Baylor game. Thank you.